what happened is that we had a product that was that was uh, useful for some people, work people that you know work remotely or are creative or, or solopreneurs, and then all of a sudden we had a product that was you know helpful for almost everybody. So it kind of changed who our customer is, and and so that's been really interesting too. We're having different kinds of people come to the cave. CEOs of companies are now coming, and so it's just a really funny and challenging uh, new set of problems. That's Jeremy Redleaf, co-founder of Cave Day, a company that wants to help you stop procrastinating. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens, part of the HBR Presents Network. We live in a world of overwhelming options, and whether you're an entrepreneur, an executive, or just someone who wants to make the most out of your time and money, committing to just one thing can feel impossible. That's called FOMO, and it's short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers how they make personal and professional decisions in a world of overwhelming choice. FOMO. FOMO. Did you have any projects that you wanted to get done during quarantine? If you're like a lot of people I talk to, the answer may well be, yes, I did, but I got far less done than I expected. Even if you work tons of hours and you're working all the time these days, you never manage to get to that one project you promised yourself you'd tackle. It's okay. We're going to change that today. A few weeks back, we talked to Dan Schaubel about creating a cohesive corporate culture in a work-from-home world. I heard from so many of you on the subject that I decided to focus this week's episode on another aspect of work-from-home that is the mortal enemy of productivity, procrastination. And this is especially true for those of us who work alone or who are working on a project, say a side project if you're a 10% entrepreneur, that requires us to be self-starters and to find our own source of focus and motivation. Without the pressure of a boss or colleagues or an externally imposed deadline, it can be hard to get things done. My guests today are experts on how to get things done when you're working from home. Jake Kahana, Jeremy Redleaf, and Molly Sostang are the founders of Cave Day, which runs daily deep work sessions that bring people together so that they can work on their own. The sessions are not conducted in an actual cave, but rather a metaphorical one, where Cave Day employees oversee a a three-and-a-half-hour series of deep work sprints and breaks that are conducted in person or virtually over the internet. They're going to explain how it all works and how all of us can up our productivity and improve our relationship with our work. Plus, Cave Day is giving FOMO Sapiens listeners a free virtual session, so stick around to find out how to get yours. You'll also want to stick around for the faux moment of the show, where we will continue to talk about productivity, this time for kids. I'll be joined by former CEO of the Princeton Review, Kate Eberly walker who came on the show back in season one. Kate's now running Presence Learning, a company that's raised over $30 million to help schools to deliver special education remotely. And she actually called me to come on the show. She reached out to say that she's seeing so much FOMO when it comes to homeschooling kids right now that she wanted to come on, tell us about it, and give us some solutions. All right, let's get on with the show. To start our conversation, I asked Cave Day co-founder Jeremy Redleaf, kind of inevitable question. Is it fair to say that his entire business model is predicated on getting people to pay him so that they can do their work? It's true, yeah, but we also pay people to help us work out when we can all do that ourselves as well, right? Um, you know, we started this a few years ago, and we it was never intended to be a business. We we started as an event, a cave day um, that, that we made for our friends to um, inspire them to like actually do that book, write, write that book that they've been talking about writing for, you know, 15 years. And um, we just had all these friends that had side projects. And, and um, so we created this experience for them on a, on a Sunday. And um, we all met uh, through a retreat where we uh, were thinking about how to spend our time well. And, um, and I'm a creator and I, I was sort of obsessed with like, where's, how do I get more done? And um, I couldn't really find a time, a way to focus on my writing. And so we came together, we, cre- we created this experience called the Cave Day and it was, uh, you know, people said 
when are you doing this again? And we said, oh, we're not. This was just like a, a one-time thing. And so we decided to do it again. And for about a year, we just did it once a month on a Sunday. Um, and then we were fortunate enough to, to sign a partnership with a company called Breather who allowed us to kind of like do it every week. And so from there, we um, we started, you know, sort of embedding ourselves into the work rhythms of people. And that's where we kind of came to this idea that people could, you know, uh, have a pl- what if a what if a workspace actually made you better? You started doing this and then you noticed it was an opportunity in the market and then people were clamoring for this kind of kind of experience. Right. And so, Jake. It goes from one thing to be sort of something you do with your friends to actually launching a business. That that requires conviction, requires a sense that you can actually make this sustainable. So what convinced you that you could make this a business? And, and how much do people pay for this? The first two events that we ran, I think the three of us looked at each other and we were like, that was really fun. We, we all made about 200 bucks or whatever it was at the time. And we were like, that was cool. Let's, let's keep doing that. Um, and seeing that people would pay f- for this, it was a realization uh, that um, we're onto something really unique. And so at the current moment, we have, uh, I believe it's 14 sessions a week, and people pay $35 a month for unlimited access to our um, half-day remote sessions. And to have a business, of course, you need repeat customers. And so Molly, I'd like to ask you sort of what are the types of people that you see regularly at Cave Day? Are there sort of personality archetypes or types of folks that that really sort of your your program resonates with? This is really meant for individual work versus more of the collaborative work. Um, But we do see folks from all, all kinds of industries. There are certainly creative types who are writing a book or working on a screenplay. But we also have, you know, folks who are already remote workers and working more traditional nine to five careers, but remotely. And there are contractors and entrepreneurs and, and then also folks who are, are just working on hobbies or maybe they are, you know, there, there was one woman who worked on her thank you notes for her wedding. So we really do see an interesting range uh, of, of work being accomplished. But what I really want to point to is that it is more about the individual work versus collaborative. So Jake, do you have any favorite stories about the kinds of things that people have done during a cave day? We've, we've had probably close to 10, maybe even a dozen books written in the cave. We've had people launch companies, start new careers. Um, several podcasts have come from cave work. Um, performers who come and write their screenplays um, and Broadway plays. Uh, lots of journalists come and, and write articles, not about us, but for uh, their own jobs uh, in the cave. One one guy came and actually uh, focused on cooking a chicken for <laughs> for three hours. So you really can do anything uh, in the cave that you can do with focus. So before quarantine, way back in I believe February of 2020, it feels like a million years ago now. I experienced uh, a cave day, and it was quite interesting because it was. It was uh, sort of ritualistic. There's a specific set of activities that take place. It's not that you just show up to a room, everybody's quiet, and you work, which is what I kind of thought it might be. So, Molly, why don't you tell everybody what it's like to go to a cave day and flow of experiences that you offer when you when you lead a group? So you're you're exactly right. Ritual is incredibly important for our method. This is not a typical co-working space, nor is it a library where folks just get together and put their head down and work. And we have, since we since we started, we have thought through every moment and every every touch point that we might, we might be working with the um, participants. And so to start, we have 
you know, we, we create this container for deep work. I, I think a lot about a magic circle. So we have to open the circle where a, uh, the space, the, the deep work happens and we come together and we close a circle at the very end. And in between, there are moments where we come together as a group and, and we see each other and we acknowledge the work that we're doing together in, in a space. Um, and it's, it's so much less lonely when you are working in a space with other people. Uh, and we also want to create a little bit of magic so it doesn't just feel like, oh, I'm doing this work by myself, this really hard, important work. But we, we want to have it feel light and magical so it's not quite so painful. Um, we, we collect your phones at the very beginning because, you know, the phone is, is one of the biggest distractions. And simply by taking the phone and, and making a ritual of it, it feels like, ah, okay, it gives you a sense of relief. Uh, and we also, we don't tell the participants how long the sprints are, and that's very intentional. Uh, we want the participants to get lost in their work rather than think, oh, there's two minutes left. I can switch to something easier. I can open up my email tab and, and or, or go to social media. But we keep track of the time for you so you can just really dive in and get lost in your work. I want to ask about the science because this isn't something that you sort of just dreamed up based on, you know, some hypotheses, right? You actually have some data that backs up the decisions and how you structure the time. So Jake, could you take us through some of the data that inform your decision-making and how it, how it actually affects how you structure the time in the cave? Our whole method is based on the science of productivity, the research of the psychology and the neuroscience. And so when we, when we talk about the experience itself in the cave, we talk about being in the cave, which is our deep work time, and out of the cave, which is our breaks. And in the cave, our sprint lengths are typically between 40 and 52 minutes. That 52-minute number comes from the, a study done by the Drogium Group. Uh, and basically, they did research on thousands of workers that proved that the, the workers who were working in about 52 minutes and taking 17, 18-minute breaks afterwards were the most productive, not the people that were working longer hours. There's a study done by the University of California in, at Irvine who said that um, when you're working, when you're in focused mode, uh, when you're in that deep flow state, uh, in order to get distracted by something that you didn't intend to get distracted by, right? Like a, a, an impulse, uh, um, you check your phone, you have a coworker coming up to you, talking to you. Um, it actually takes 23 minutes and 15 seconds to get back into that same level of focus. Uh, so at the very low end, um, you know, we're talking by at least 24 minute sprints, um, but obviously leaning towards the longer end of that. Um, in terms of the breaks and, and keeping people energized, uh, a lot of our research comes from the book When by Daniel Pink, uh, which talks about the science of circadian rhythms and our own body rhythms in accordance to when we should do our best work. Molly, other than getting work done, which is obviously a big part of Cave Day, what else do you hope that cave dwellers take away from the experience? Learning to work in this deeply focused, distraction-free way is sort of like training a new muscle. The, the, you know, it takes time and, and practice to, to gain strength in any muscle. And the more you practice this kind of focus, the, the more habitual it becomes. So, you know, our, our, our mission is to improve the quality of life to, by improving the quality of your work. And I think that's what we really want our cave dwellers to walk away with. And it's so true, especially if you work for yourself, you could basically never stop working. And so finding a way to turn it on and turn it off. And what you guys do is, and I have this with me because I took it, I, I guess I was allowed to take it, but if I stole it, I'll give it back someday. Uh, you give people this little coaster 
uh, it's like a bar coaster that says on one side, I am inside the cave. And on the outside, it says, I am outside the cave. And I keep it on my desk now and I flip it over. At least I try. Sometimes I forget, but I try to bring some of these things back to me. So, um, you know, we're all doing our best right now, but, um, but trying to find a way, especially when you're working from home to turn off and have work time and non-work time is really important because otherwise you're just going to work all the time and that's not healthy either. Yeah, so we talk about this idea of improving our relationship to work, and it's in contrast to what's out there in the world right now, which is, you know, work harder, hustle harder, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead, this kind of like, if you're not working hard harder, then you don't love what you do enough. Uh, and that is really damaging to a lot of us who feel like we're working hard, and and I, I it, the rest of the relationships in my life, you know, to other people, to my partner, my family or the relationship to myself and taking care of myself, you know, suffer because I quote unquote, love my work so much. So what we're trying to do, and we're trying to train people with, you know, with giving you that coaster, it's not stolen, by the way, um, is, is to help people train themselves to feel more accomplished every day, in comparison to what they could have done yesterday, but not in comparison to everybody else. It's, it's about feeling more accomplished. It's about being energized by your work. It's about giving and getting uh, in equal balance, and I'm giving my work and my, my time and energy and effort, and hopefully getting, you know, identity and rest and time off because I've I've put in that effort. And, and that relationship is is an ongoing thing, right? The the more that we work, the more that we have to manage it. In a sense, it's almost like you guys are running an experiment with a lot of people to see what works best when we're working on our own. And then you're evolving your product to match that. So what have you learned, Jeremy, over time? You know, we've now done this over 50,000 hours of deep work. And, uh, and we've, you know, we've, over time, we've experimented in the cave and, and, track, and had people report the results. And so we found you know, what leads to higher focus scores. And we've just sort of used the cave as an incubator to find a method that works for a lot of people. Uh, the first ever cave day was me by myself. And what I found was that it was really, I got a ton done, but it was so draining. Like I, I don't think I did anything for the next two days. I just couldn't, I was so drained. And so the second cave, we said, what, what is this experience like if we do it with other people where, you know, I'm often energized by other people. And, and, uh, I always find that, you know, I'm better in those kinds of environments. So we, so Molly, Jake and I did one together and it was really fun. Like it was, you know, it was productive and fun. You know, what happens with our work is that we, we seek, you know, our brains are dopamine seeking machines. We're always seeking that dopamine, you know, that uh, on the web and on social media and, and it, you know, with easy tasks. And so if we're going to take away all those things, uh, we still are going to want to seek dopamine. So, so doing the cave together was like, oh, wow, we could actually like generate oxytocin and dopamine, you know, inside the cave. So uh, like, okay, cool. So this is a social experience. And so for the first year we did, a, we did full day caves together, morning, lunch together uh, afternoon and again it was it was it was it was sort of a transformational event people were having really incredible experiences and then we started experimenting with sort of half day caves like what what would a half day cave be right what if you could work for a half a day and get all your your day's work uh, done wouldn't that be cool so for the next bit of time we had this half half cave day and full cave day and it was just very complicated so finally uh, we decided to just create one time so uh, a cave is now three and a half hours which is sort of like the most you could do without you know serving a meal so the idea is that you is you, you know you, you if what if you maximized that maximized that morning or afternoon session and got you know you know we're at your peak for that whole time what would that do to your day 
Tudo bem, meus queridos Fomo Sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese, and as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now... You're moving the experience online. So we are in the middle of quarantine. We cannot leave our homes, but Cave Day lives on and you have made it virtual. And this is not new. You've you've long had work from home Cave Days, but now it's your it's your business. So Jeremy, let's talk about how you move from the physical experience of being in a room together where, you know, you take away the phone and lock the door and people are are, you know, focusing because they have a, a sort of a, a cave guide there who is leading them to bringing this into a work from home environment. Yeah. So we, we've been, luckily we've had some practice. We've been doing remote caves for over a year and we've, we have a, a community of remote workers all over the globe in about 15 different countries who have helped us figure out how to do this online. It's a very strange feeling. You know, things are actually going really well for us. And, and while we're all, of course, dealing with the reality of the situation, uh, but we've, we've seen, you know, about 5X growth in the, in the last two months, which is incredible. And and we have got all these new people in our community. And uh, we've also been able to give some memberships up to uh, out of a scholarship fund we have for, for people that have lost their jobs. Um, you know, what, what happened is that, you know, uh, we had a product that was that was uh, useful for some people, work people that you know work remotely or are creative or you know or solopreneurs, and then all of a sudden we had a product that was you know helpful for almost everybody. So it kind of changed who our customer is, and and so that's been really interesting too. We're having different kinds of people come to the cave. CEOs of companies are now coming, and so it's just a really funny and challenging uh, new set of problems. And you maintain the same structure in terms of the way that you break out the time and the rituals. Is it is it, uh, it with, is it the same sort of experience? So I'd say that the structure is definitely the same. We start every K with a, a welcome circle and a, uh, an intention with a theme, and we check in on the work that you're doing. Our four work sprints are three breaks to keep you energized, and we check out with our wins and accomplishments. That's definitely the same. I think what's different is that those of us who have tried to work out in front of a YouTube video at home, um, know that like it's way better than trying to just do a, a workout by yourself at home. And the same thing happens with work, that, that me just sitting at my computer, at my desk, at my house can be really challenging. And when I feel like I'm a part of a community that's centered around focus, that's doing work together, that's keeping me accountable for basically half of my day, um, it's a pretty magical experience. And, um, you know, it, it's just making the in-person experience even more magical. Um, unfortunately, we, we obviously can't run those now, um, but the, the remote caves are still a magical experience for so many people. So one of the things I've learned in quarantine, I think a lot of us have learned in quarantine, is that every business needs to know how to pivot online. This is sustained. And in fact, one of former guests on the show 
came on a couple weeks back and talked about, this is Nas of Nas Daily, the fact that if you're not online now, you should have been yesterday and you need to do it immediately. And so as you think about how online plays in your business in the future and you decide how to structure that mix, where do you think things are going? And this could be, you know, I think for those of us who are listening who may have physical businesses as well, that's going to be important in terms of how we move forward. Yeah, you know, before the quarantine, we were we're based in New York City, and we were uh, looking into to getting our own permanent space. And you know, now we're asking ourselves, how could you ever sign a lease, right? You know, I think we're gonna have to figure figure out how that even works. How can a business, you know, run that risk? And so the it's just too early to tell on that. So, um, but we've always found that the remote is a really, you know, really the 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 most scalable part of our business. And on survey after survey, remote workers the 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 two. Uh, biggest problems are the loneliness of working from home and also like the the work bleeding into everything. And we think that we have a really compelling solution to that that no one else is really doing. So that's where the that's where we see the 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 opportunity to to help and to be able to serve um, you know every country. We can't we can't uh, it probably especially in this environment wouldn't be a, a wise uh, move to sort of franchise and open up you know WeWork style and you know you know every country right now. Uh, especially given given the the state of the world, so we're yeah we're just focusing on on doing what we do in this environment and making uh, making it work for more and more people, more and more time zones, and more and more um, types of workers. So, Jeremy, it is a business. How big do you think a business like this could get at this point? Yeah, I mean, you know, we are obviously inspired by a company like Peloton that you know has really been able to grow to a mass to a scale in, you know in a work from home environment and and we do think it it uh, has the ability to solve that size problem but that's not really what our focus is of course we're we're trying to keep the experience feeling human and um, and connected as we grow because what we do is a very human product it's not a tech product Jake, what have you learned now? You're working from home for two months now. We actually tried to tape this show right before quarantine set in, and then we kept on rescheduling it. And eventually, now we're doing it remotely. So so what have you learned? And do you have advice for folks? You know, Maybe they, they, they haven't done Cave Day. Maybe they're not going to do Cave Day, but they're working from home. What's the advice that you could offer anybody right now who, who's in a similar situation? There's probably two things that I would recommend for improving the way that we work. One is, is to create rituals around starting and ending your day and going inside and outside the cave. So a ritual might be anything from, uh, you know, pretend like you're getting ready for work, right? Take a shower, brew your cup of coffee, and instead of going on your commute, you know, maybe walk around the block or put some headphones on, uh, listen to a podcast, you know, take five or 10 minutes to create a mental transition into work. And the same thing at the end of your day out of work. We, we know people in our cave day community say at, at six o'clock, they shut their computer and out loud, they say done. The, the other thing is that we, we often say that we can trick our brains into going into deep work or flow mode. Uh, and, and the way that we do that is by defining our work better, creating a time block and removing all distractions. So, you know, being clear on what am I doing, defining my work. Two is saying, I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to monotask on that task. Um, for the next, as I mentioned, you know, 25 to 52 minutes uh, and saying, I'm going to put my phone away. I'm going to close all the other tabs and apps. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to do that for that period of time. And how about you, Jeremy and Molly? You know, there's a, there's a work version of FOMO that, that I have. And I think a lot of people have, which is um, 
someone asks something of me or or needs something from me, and that's a great opportunity for me to feel helpful and to feel and to feel useful and to and to keep on my relationship in a good spot. And that's seduct that is so seductive for me. So one of the big challenges with working from home is being able to turn off those notifications and not get that chance to jump and uh, jump and be helpful and do that other thing. Um, you know, some people talk about email as, you know, someone else's to-do list. And, uh, and that goes for every app that's notifying you of something. So how do you play offense? How do you find a time to, to calm the voices in your head and do the thing you, that you want to get done in the day um, before jumping to what else everybody else needs? I think what's been interesting for me is, uh, you know, as I learned to work from home, I, came up with a, with a list of priorities. And if, if something comes to me and it doesn't fit into those priorities, I get to decide whether or not I want to spend time doing it. So the, for me, the examples are spending time with my family and showing up and being present for my immediate family. Work is the, the next priority. The third is showing up for the people in my co-living situation that I'm quarantining with. Fourth is rest. And five is personal time. So again, if, if something flies my way and it doesn't fit into one of those categories, then it's an intentional choice to decide if I want to spend time doing that. And with that, we're going to wrap up the show. And I want to let you know that our friends at Cave Day have offered all FOMO Sapiens listeners a free virtual session. So just go to their site and when you're checking out, you can enter the code FOMO for a free session. So try it out and let me know what you think. You can also find these guys at caveday.org or across the social networks at Cave Day. Thanks for being here, Jake, Molly, and Jeremy. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. FOMO. And now it's time for the FOMO moment of the show. And I'm joined by Kate Everly Walker, CEO of Presence Learning, which helps schools provide special education remotely. She is also a mother who is currently homeschooling two daughters. I started our conversation by asking Kate what she's seeing right now in the education space. I am seeing so much stress and so much uncertainty, both from schools who are figuring out on the fly how to remotely educate all of their students, and then from parents who are not sure if what they're getting from their schools is good, if it's right. A lot is being asked of parents to not just supervise, but to engage with their kids and to participate in the education. And it's it's a lot. So parents are, you know, as they do, they're talking to each other and they're comparing notes and they're trying to figure out is what I'm getting and what's happening with my kids equal to or better than or worse than what is happening with somebody else's children in some in another school. Yeah, so it's it's competitive and it's scary because it's not just a couple of weeks here. We're talking about months and months and potentially who knows how long this will go on. And so what is the impact that this has? I guess you think about you talk to tons of schools all over the country. How will this affect children? So, I think that it, the, the big the big point which you just made is that it's not just a couple of weeks now. It's continuing and we don't know how long it's going to continue and we don't know next year if everyone is going to come back in the same way or if they do, will there be other ins and outs throughout the year? So I think because of that, that that's what's going to make it actually be okay for students in the long run because schools have shifted from where they were in March saying, okay, we just need to close for a couple of weeks or we just need to hang in there for a month and then we'll get back to normal to really shifting to we need a program in place that ensures continuity of service, true continuity of education, whether we can be together in the school or whether we need to do this online with flexibility to go back and forth between the two. So that takes time. I mean, you jump into something and it's not going to be 
great in most places the first week that you do it and you keep on iterating, you keep on improving. So now a lot of schools are a month into doing this and are, you know, taking the time now to plan for what it'll look like through the summer and into next year. So it's only going to get better and better. Okay. So this is your job. You literally advise and, and provide distance learning for schools. So I want to start talking about the advice you can give. Let's start with schools. Say you had a bunch of principals sitting in front of you right now. What's the advice you would give to them about shifting their their education online? So the big advice I would give is to try to do the best that you can, try to do as much as you can. There, there's been a whole dialogue out there where, where some schools are taking the position of if we can't be sure that every single student can benefit from this service or can receive service at home, then we shouldn't do it for anyone. And then there are other schools who are taking the approach that I would more advocate for, which is, you know, it's not going to be the same as it was when everybody was coming to school, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try and we shouldn't try to do as much as we possibly can. And it's those schools that are already doing a lot. They have, you know, they have happier parents, they have more engaged students. I think the the key piece of advice is, you know, take your time to build a program that works for you, but orient yourself around trying to do as much as you can, not trying to be, you know, careful about doing things that, that won't work for a hundred percent of your population. There's, I mean, you know, there's a real sort of question of equity and access in all of this, that not every child is getting an equal education right now. Because there are really, there's big differences in how much technology you have at home, what your internet access is like, and where the parents are and how much can they engage or not engage with the students. So those are very real things that need to be dealt with. But I think that the schools who are dealing with those issues the best way are the ones that are really jumping in and leaning in and and trying to do more, not, you know, using, using that inequity as a reason not to try. Yeah, it's the old perfect is the enemy of the good or the FOBO, as I call it. Uh, there could be a better solution out there, but you just need to get going. Yes. Uh, what, one last question for you, Kate, uh, on the question of productivity. So not only are you running this business, but you also have two daughters at home who you're homeschooling right now. So for all the working parents out there who are juggling these two things, what have you learned? What's your advice for them? My biggest advice is to trust, talk to your school and trust your school. Um, you know, it's not, it's not going to be the same as it was when you could drop your children off at school every day and leave them in the caring hands of your, your principal and your teachers. More is falling on all parents right now. And parents are frustrated by it. They're asking more questions and they're trying to figure out how to get some relief here. Some of that, you know, we'll all figure out together with schools, how to shift balances back and forth. But, you know, more than anything, I I just suggest to parents to trust that your schools are, are doing their best to work with what they're giving you and to also know that, you know, kids are very resilient and they learn from, they learn from school, but they also learn from experiences, all kinds of experiences. So if nothing else, I just really recommend the parents push their kids to reflect on this time, write in a journal, document the crazy experience of living and learning during a pandemic, and to just think about what it means for them and how, how it might change their lives next year when they go back to school. So I think there's there are a lot of ways to learn right now. And, um, you know, I think we all just need to 
communicate back and forth. I think a, a child's education has always been a collaboration between the school and the parent and that the dynamics have shifted in that tremendously right now. But I still think if if both sides keep returning to the core of, you know, parents and schools need to work together, everybody will feel a lot better about it as, as things continue to change. All right. Kate Everly Walker, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. FOMO. And that's the end of another episode. If you have an idea, a story, or a question, you can find me on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, and at www.patrickmcginnis.com, where you can also take the official FOMO Sapiens diagnostic and find out if you're a FOMO Sapiens. FOMO Sapiens is part of the HBR Presents Network. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrow. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it at Spotify and at iTunes. And as always, you can find me at patrickmcginnis.com. 